welcome to Rael Talk, a podcast where I deep dive into theories, practices, and concepts that relate movement, mindfulness, and meaningful connection. I'm your host, Britta Rael, and I'm really excited today to be speaking with Lucas Dunham, who is an Exos performance coach at Google. He works with all of the Google clientele to train them in strength and conditioning, powerlifting, and even a little bit of mindfulness and meditation. So I'm really eager to have him on the show today. Um, he and I had the chance to work with each other for several months during my time at Google. Um, he's an amazing movement teacher and coach, and I'll be speaking with him today specifically talking about the art of coaching. Uh, one of his cues and, and key phrases is, creating graceful savages, people that can move with a lot of power um, and strength, but with grace and elegance. So stay tuned. It's going to be a really great show. So I'm sitting here today with you, Lucas Dunham. I'm really happy to have you here on the show. Um, Lucas is an Exos performance coach at Google, where he teaches daily strength and conditioning classes, and in addition, like powerlifting classes, and even, I will say, a little bit of yoga and mindfulness thrown into the mix there. So welcome, Lucas. Thanks for having me, Britta. Yeah. Uh, Britta, I had the fortunate opportunity to uh, work with Britta for a little while here at Google, uh, and she you know, helped expand my abilities and my offerings here in my facility within Exos at Google. But just a little bit about my background. Former athlete, uh, kind of got into strength and conditioning, uh, pursuing performance enhancing effects of strength and never was the biggest or fastest player on the field. So I always felt that uh, my efforts in the weight room would give me a little bit of an advantage in terms of performance. Uh, that kind of got me into the field. And once I was here, I realized that uh, some of the lessons that I could learn inside the weight room uh, actually transferred out into a lot of different realms of life and started to see the big picture and realizing it it wasn't necessarily just about adding more weight to the bar or, or some of the effects that we're getting in the weight room and um, decided I wanted to find a platform that was going to allow me to tap into some of those uh, other realms of life outside of just just the, the Exos. So, um, came to Google on the corporate side of things, but I still am working for Exos. Um, we're a company that is now planting its roots in a lot of different arenas, one being performance, one being corporate wellness, one being uh, the military and the tactical side of things. Um, but this is the, the route that I found as I can have a great impact on quality of life for many people. Mm. And based on my experience, you certainly do. Like everyone that takes your classes is seemingly very vibrant and and connected and excited to be doing what they're doing so outside of just the the exos and like google uh role that you play um tell me a little bit more about your experience coaching because i found that working with you was specifically really um enlightening in in, in far as like the art of coaching you have a really keen ability to not only connect with your students and your clients but have this incredible balance between being like you know kind of like a a meathead bro kind of like heavy power lifting guy that's like barking you know orders and challenging us and a very soft intellectual um emotive coach and i think that's 
a pretty unique balance. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how maybe you developed your sense of coaching. Uh, <clears throat> I think like a lot of coaches, um, initially when I came into the field or when I started working with people, I tried to emulate leaders that I had in the past. And for me, playing a lot of these contact sports, football and rugby growing up, you know, sometimes our coaches and a lot of times the coaches had to have a little bit more of an assertive presence or a little bit more of a dominating presence. And, you know, I was obviously drawn to that because I enjoyed the sport and I enjoyed the, uh, the, the side of competition. So being influenced by that and learning out of lessons from that type of influence, I think initially I tried to emulate that. Um, I think with time, with practice, it, it just didn't feel like it was the most sustainable method to always be the one giving out a ton of energy. Um, so I think that I, with time, I just tried to be a little bit more of myself and a little bit less of who I thought people needed me to be. Um, and I think that helped me kind of shift back to a coach that was a little bit more laid back, a little bit more friendly, but still uh, still able to turn it on when I need to turn it on. Um, I think that, like I said before, that it's easy for a young coach or a young fitness professional, a young movement professional to want to be the coach that they think everyone needs them to be. Um, but as soon as you realize that you just need to be yourself and that people care most about authenticity, that's when all of a sudden you're going to be able to influence people at a much higher degree. Yeah. And that's, again, like my direct experience of you is the moment I met you, I was like, wow, who is this guy just showing up and being like really intrigued about me and curious about the practice and totally relatable and not arrogant or egoistic or distant at all. Like you have a very warm, um, friendly personality. And I think that stretches across the board with your coaching clients and your peers and even, you know, just people that you meet on the street. So it's a really powerful gift as a coach, I think. Um, I think a lot of that also came from uh, just transitioning from working with predominantly athletes to coming into an environment that was somewhat new to me, working with uh, corporate professionals, especially in Silicon Valley in California. I grew up on the East Coast in New York, and it's definitely a little bit different mindset and just regular day-to-day -day activities, let alone inside a weight room. So you can imagine uh, some, some of the strength experiences I had were quite a bit different. Um, so came came here and realized immediately that I was probably intimidating a lot of people, especially people that didn't have much experience in a weight room before. Um, so initially I had to dial it back a lot. I think there was a, initially a point where I dialed it back too much. I kind of shifted a little bit too far on the other side of the spectrum where I didn't really have uh, the authority or the presence that I wanted. So, you know, there's been a lot of calibration over time, but I think now I find that sweet spot where I can balance uh, the softer and the harder skills of coaching. Yeah. Um, for people that might not know more specifics about like the art of coaching, there's so much that goes into coaching any type of movement skill, let alone other types of coaching that's motivational coaching or personal development or life coaching. And I think what I notice about your coaching specifically in the gym or on the turf where there's a lot of high energy, you're able to really balance uh, offering clear technique and and almost like an, a call to action I need more of this or you're, you're shaping your students and your clients in a certain way with you, the way that you coach and you're balancing that with offering the right amount or the 
or the appropriate timing for encouragement, depending on the person, what they need, and challenge, depending on that person's maybe strength or capability. Um, can you talk about or maybe define those different styles or approaches or how you enact those in a session with someone or in a class setting specifically? Yeah, I think that uh, everyone, as you know, everyone receives feedback very differently. And for lack of a better term, everyone's got a slightly different love language. Um, and I think of when I'm giving feedback or when I'm giving care to someone in a facility, I can't just assume that everyone's going to want to receive feedback the same way that I do. And I think as a young coach, I, I just tried to emulate, okay, how do I like to learn and how can I deliver that to other people? But being exposed to a lot of different people from all over the world and just getting repetitions in with a diverse group of people, I've realized that people really have a lot of differences in the way they like to receive attention or receive feedback. So it's helpful for me to reflect and, you know, talking with you and understanding how, how I've actually learned this. And a lot of it was just kind of subconscious. Maybe it's part of my personality. You know, maybe it's um, something I've just picked up being in team atmospheres in the past, but uh, one thing that I do at the beginning of a session, especially if there's a new person, is uh, I kind of feel out how they like to receive feedback. So something as simple as um, starting off by giving them a compliment, I'm just kind of watching how they respond to that. You can see sometimes see someone's body language change a little bit, and that's usually the tell for me is if they're if they're starting with their arms crossed and all of a sudden they present a little bit more of an open body language, or if they kind of turn to me and you can tell when someone's a little bit more drawn to you. I look for those tells in the first five minutes uh, of a session, and that's a, a quick little check for me to understand, okay, how does this person like to receive feedback? Uh, another method is, say they're doing a, a drill, for example, I just put a hand on their back or a pat on the back. Some people will respond very well to that, like, oh, that was nice. Some people really enjoy just the simple uh, touch component. Um, another one is challenge. I'll, I'll offer someone just up a little challenge, like, hey, let's see if you can do this in 30 seconds, see if you can do this in 45 seconds, see how they respond to that. So I definitely have a pocket full of little tests or little assessments that I was kind of doing unconsciously. And it, like I said, it's helpful for me to reflect and actually think about why I was doing these things. But just a, a hand on the back, float a compliment out there, offer up a challenge, um, ask them something more introspective. Some folks like to, to have it a little bit more, uh, kind of tell them about themselves. So I'll try these different strategies out within the first five to 10 minutes of meeting someone. And right away, I can immediately start to tell what they're drawn to or how they respond to those different forms of feedback. And that kind of drives how I work with a person moving forward. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I noticed that day in and day out working with you. Um, it's, I think, something that you said is a subconscious element of your personality or your coaching capability for other people, it's maybe overwhelming to consider, oh my gosh, not only do I have to plan a class and execute the class and make sure people are doing things appropriately or at the right time, but now I have to think of all the interpersonal dynamics. Um, is it ever stressful to you or does it just come totally naturally? And if so, do you think that's just based on your experience over time? Or is that something that you've really worked to cultivate? Is that something that's in your actual awareness practice? I, I think when when I listed out all these different considerations, it, it's a bit daunting. But I think it's as simple as uh, is paying attention during small talk. I think that's really what I do. 
I, I try to design a session where the first couple of minutes I can make my way around the room and talk to people about their day. And really, I'm yes, I care about their day, but really what I'm doing is trying to understand some of those those questions I mentioned before through small talk. And if you think of it, just if you actually remove the content of the language when you're having small talk with someone and you just kind of watch the situation from afar, let's pretend you can't hear what they're saying. If I look at someone and I say, hey, how's your day going? Imagine that's me kind of uh, offering up a bid. I'm offering a bid for you to receive help from me or receive feedback from me. And if the person turns to me and maybe opens up a little bit, maybe they smile, that's kind of them accepting that bid that I proposed to them. Versus if someone kind of has a blank stare or maybe they you know, still have a little bit more of a closed off posture, you know, language aside, they might say, hey, my day's going well, but you can tell just by watching body language if they're willing to accept that bid or not. So I think that there's a lot that can be understood just by the small talk within the first couple of minutes of talking to someone. So just floating out the question of how's your day going? What's what's going on at work? What, what's, what'd you do this weekend? Those things might not drive a ton. They may seem trivial at a glance, but for me, I think I get a lot of information from that. And I think a lot of coaches, regardless of your, of your uh, field, can understand a lot about a, a person within the first few minutes of small talk. One thing also that I would love to talk to you about because your classes have a very innate community sense of culture. Like the culture of your classes are not, hey, we're all here to just destroy the weight room today. There's that element for sure. People are lifting, you know, lots and lots and lots of weight and they're getting after their workouts. But the overarching sense of your classes is, hey, we're all here and the work that we're putting in is based on the trust and the community and the fun and just this environment that we have. So, I mean, you've made leaps and bounds as um, a performance coach at Google. Like for some people, that's, you know, the, the cream of the crop. And over the past, what has it been, like five years or six years of teaching there? Yep, five years. What What are some of your like best practices for specifically building community? So when I think of uh, working out in a gym in this particular setting, for some reason that brings me all the way back to school and the how great recess was. And I try to think about why why was recess so fun? And I think that a lot of people can relate to this. Is in school you'd have this list of things that had to be done, the list of tasks. And then you had this magical hour in the middle of that, that there were no tasks and you could simply just play and have fun. And a lot of times for most people, there were friends or, or a group of people that were kind of, you look, you would look forward to hanging out with. So when I started, especially class in the middle of the day, these kind of lunchtime based classes, how can I replicate that feeling of recess here and still also have it be delivered in a way where people are getting results? I don't want it to just be people dicking around all day I want it to be something a little bit more serious where we're actually seeing measurable results but I definitely started building uh, the feeling of let's make this a little bit more about play and not just another thing to add to your mile long to-do list um, and I think that's a took some time for me to understand that because initially I think I looked at things very short-sighted of we need to get this done by this time and try to set a little bit more measurable goals um, but the idea of play is a, something that I try to incorporate in my warm-ups and my cool-downs. Uh, that, that sense of community um, has grown alongside that. Specifically, best practices for building community. Some of these are going to sound really trivial, but these go a long way. Um, 
mastering people's names. Someone taught me really early on that if you use a person's name at least three sessions, three times within the first session working with them, you're very likely that you're going to remember it the next time around. And you know, being at Google, meeting folks from all over the world, there's definitely some names that come up where I've I've never heard that name before in my life. I'm going to have to repeat that a few times for that to stick. So um, that was the first thing that I wanted to master coming here is just learning everybody's names that I interacted with. Um, from there, trying to pair people up. I think of myself as a kind of like a fitness matchmaker. I try to match someone with their training partner or with their gym buddy. So just saying, hey, uh, Britta, have you met this person before? Or hey, do you guys know each other? You work on the same team. Or sometimes I'll even just uh, match up a new person with a veteran. So matching people in a deliberate way, I find that that's a, another thing that seems trivial if you just look at one class at a time. But if you look at a longevity of a community in a gym, folks want to have a peer that they can ask questions from, not just the instructor. And if it's just me, I'm the only point of contact for them to ask help or ask feedback, that's very short-sighted. Whereas if I set someone up with a network of people that they can ask for help, they can ask for feedback, they can ask for a spot, they can have fun with, that's setting somebody up for a little bit more long-term term trajectory. And also, I think if I'm going to spend 40-plus hours of my time in one area, I want, I selfishly, I want that to feel like I'm hanging out with my friends the whole time. I don't want it to feel really formal all the time. So taking 10 minutes before a session or 10 minutes after a session to legitimately invest time uh, making friendships with people, getting to know more than just the small talk, trying to dig below the surface. That's something that some coaches overlook and, and see it as trivial, but the, those extra 10 minutes every day add up. And it's to the point now where I come into work and I legitimately feel like I'm hanging out with some of my best friends, uh, folks that I get to train every day. That's so special. I mean, that's such a gift. Like, what a unique opportunity. I would love if you could just describe the environment where you work, because it's a pretty particular and I will say famous um, gym at the Google campus. Uh, so just tell us a little bit about the jungle. <laughs> so, so the gym I'm at uh, has earned the nickname the jungle, I think, for, for several reasons. One, I... I'm big on these kind of animal type movements and the warm-ups. So you see a lot of bear crawls, you see inchworms, you see dead bugs. Like for some reason, a lot of the exercises I use have some sort of animal name associated with it. Wolverine lunge, <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man crawl, like hanging yeah. monkeys for sure. Yeah. The gym is, has a, an uncanny amount of monkey bars. Well, there's like three or four sets of monkey bars connecting all the squat racks in the gym. Um, the gym itself is designed specifically for powerlifting. It's got four squat racks. It's got the entire layout is open with the kind of equipment around the perimeter of the gym. The open space is all turf in the middle of it. Uh, I think the layout, I was fortunate to just kind of uh, move into this facility that already had a fantastic layout, but it's it's a very community-focused layout. It's not very, it's sometimes you walk into and it's kind of just like, heads down like we're all doing the same thing but nobody wants to acknowledge that they're doing the same thing just headphones in just going at it or this gym kind of forces you to have some social interaction because it's very open in the middle of it um but back to the the jungle i think that it's a very interesting space because we see a huge dichotomy we see these power lifters or, or folks really getting after the weight training and then on the other side of it there's almost like this little mini kind of handstand acrobatic 
community that's also kind of blooming in the facility. So I think a term that I actually came up with after talking with Berto is this idea of uh, trying to develop graceful savages. So savage savagery on the lines of lifting heavy, lifting hard, but graceful at the same time. And in MP5, the jungle has this kind of unique blend of both. When we worked together, you, the first time I met you actually was in one of my acro yoga classes because a student, Jocelyn, had come for many weeks and kept saying, oh yeah, Lucas, this trainer guy from, you know, uh, across the campus, he's going to come to your class eventually. And, and it took several weeks for you to actually come, probably because you're really busy. Um, but I kind of made a quick judgment of like, yeah, who's this Lucas guy? He's probably like, a meathead that wants to do yoga, whatever, hopefully he'll be cool. And when you walked into the room, um, I, w I immediately was drawn to you because of what we talked about earlier, your, your presence and your softness and your just relatability. Um, but the graceful savage thing really hit me as we were working together, coaching all sorts of classes. I mean, intense, really high energy metabolic classes, intense, very high energy powerlifting classes, and then slow, restorative acro yoga, or even like very like woo woo yoga modalities. So what are some of those aspects um, of either like philosophy or even movement that appeal to you that help you kind of bridge the gap to create those graceful savages? I think this insight actually came to me at a, a young age, but I, I couldn't really put my finger on it or describe exactly what it was. But when I played baseball as a kid, played my whole life playing baseball, um, I was always one of the stronger guys on the field, but I could never quite hit a home run. I couldn't figure it out because there were guys that were not as strong as me or, or younger than me and they were just swinging very fluidly and they're hitting the ball out of the park and I would go up there and just try to swing really hard try to use my brute strength I was just trying very hard to hit a home run but I couldn't get it done and I, I never I, I couldn't really put words to it but I just started to understand with time that um, grace needs to precede power and I was just trying to get right to the power without being graceful and I wasn't really following a path of least resistance. I was trying to just muscle through it. And I think that that's a very specific example, but I think that as I grow and mature, the more I realized that that was many areas of my life that I was just trying to muscle through it. And that I was starting to build this identity of muscle and of savagery and of strength, but realized that that's only going to get me so far without grace. And that ideally to be able to utilize that and get the most out of that, it needs to be preceded by grace. I think meeting you and talking to you started to shape my idea of what recovery meant. I think in this field, it's easy to just think of recovery as something passive or something relaxing, massage or you know active recovery techniques. But I started to think about recovery from a very relative standpoint. So for myself, yes, recovery needed to be something a little softer, a little bit more gentle, a little bit more relaxed because most of my time I'm spending doing the opposite of those things, not being gentle with myself, grinding through things, muscling through it, you know, always trying to get a little bit heavier. Um, but for someone that might be spending a lot of time doing acrobatics, doing yoga, doing things that are a little bit more passive and gentle, giving them more of that stimulus might not 
restore equilibrium. If we think of recovery in that definition of trying to restore homeostasis or restore equilibrium. So I met you and realized you and I probably need much different things for recovery. What's a, what's a workout for you might be recovery for me and, and vice versa. So we started playing around with the idea of collaborating and trying to establish a class that might be beneficial for graceful folks and savage folks equally. I think around the same time, I started just learning a little bit more about uh, Taoism and different uh, Eastern principles and starting to develop a little bit more of this kind of uh, non-dualist mindset, learning about yin and yang and just realized I needed a little bit more yin to my yang and vice versa. So I think it was kind of a perfect storm of my own self-education, learning about different philosophies, reflecting on my own uh, mishaps in the past and and kind of learning from your class and, and some of the, the mindset that you brought to it as well. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, you took kind of like my next question, the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to ask, like, what are, what are some of the things that you're currently practicing or exploring or even just experiencing that have allowed you to cultivate that other side of your personality, of your physicality, of your spirituality? Um, so you can you can definitely keep going on that riff, but yeah, I think it's a really beautiful way to define recovery. And we talked about this, I think, in in many different instances with some of the other coaches on site. Like recovery or or posture or anything doesn't have to be a black and white definition. It has it means that you have to be able to be adaptable and to switch between what is my task, what is my environment, and then how do I train the opposite to stay in that place of equilibrium or homeostasis so if we want to take it a little bit deeper like into the more woo-woo spiritual stuff like as a strength coach and as an athlete how do you how do you practice like softness and inquisitive inquisitive practices or meditation like do those things have a role in your performance and in your coaching or just in your personal life? What does that look like? Yeah, so for me, I, as I've already alluded to, my recovery was, it was not gentle. It was like jump on a foam roller and I've got excruciating pain, like grinding through it, just trying to like, you know, these terms like smash the quads, like crush the calves, like, you know, all these things that we think of as recovery. I just realized, like, if I'm spending all this time beating myself up, why would beating myself up in recovery do anything good for me? I, if anything, I just need to be gentle with myself. And when I first first started working here, I met a massage therapist who quickly became a mentor for me in that realm of things. Her name is Grace Koob. She's one of the best uh, massage therapists that, that I've ever met and definitely here at Google. And she really opened my my mind to thinking about wellness and thinking about movement thinking about um, providing care for someone and a little bit more holistic view than just uh, kind of this dogmatic strength and conditioning approach that I'd followed in the past. So I think in the past, I was very proud that everything that I did was uh, empirical. Everything was backed with research and everything was backed with science. And I still think that that's a great framework to think through, but I also think that that's very limiting in some way. So learning about some different methods that have worked for a really long time that we haven't quite caught up with science yet to be able to make those explanations 
and just being a little bit more open-minded to try them out and see how they feel rather than being quick to judge them as something that mm, research doesn't support it. I'm not doing it. I think that now I'm going to say, Hey, let me try this out. If I actually feel better from this, let's, let's give it a shot and let's be a little bit more open-minded towards it. Mm. So I think a lot of that comes down to something as simple as massage. It's something that, you know, research goes either way on the mechanisms behind its effectiveness or is it even effective foam is foam rolling effective we could sit here and debate that all day long but i think that if it's something that makes you feel better and something that's the opposite of what you're doing with a lot of your time then it, it, it's worth being considered for recovery hmm. um but i also started to realize that my idea of meditation and my idea of relaxation was very much with an end game in mind like hey i'm stressed hey i'm working hard so i need to sit down and do this structured meditation for some desired outcome and i think that in itself was kind of the opposite of meditation if you think about what meditation actually is just sitting in silence just being in the moment not doing it for some ulterior motive it took me a while to figure that out i would sit down and do these guided meditations or i'd sit down and force myself to not think it's like i was trying so hard to not think that the the effort to not think was thinking itself so I've I've learned through a lot of trial and error that meditation doesn't need to be just me sitting down for 20 minutes and breathing. I think anything you do in life can be meditation. Like me doing my dishes, me doing my laundry, me lifting a weight. Those could all be forms of meditation. And just letting go in general is something that's my ego had a hard time doing. Um, especially being one that's identity was very much around. Um, strength and being really strong and this idea of surrendering was something i was never really able to do but um again meeting a lot of folks like yourself like grace and some of these other people i've just kind of opened my mind to the benefit of being a little bit more gentle with myself and as soon as i started accepting that i noticed my own performance improving a lot my i was getting stronger i felt a lot better when i was lifting i wasn't lifting through pain anymore every mm -hmm. movement i did felt very good in the gym um so it's one of these trial and error things where Initially, it was hard to accept, but the more that I tried it, the more I actually started to see its effectiveness, uh, and the more I, I was very open to embrace these new ways of thinking. I think you hit it on the head. I think being, just being open, being curious, practicing things that not only are uncomfortable, but that are different, allows us to have new perspective, new experience, and to have a ton of different data that we can take in on a physical level, on an energetic level, to be able to broaden our experience of everything in life, you know, our practices, our physicality, our relationships, and certainly our, our just our essence of being here. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's really profound. I think um, it's also something to note that you can be lifting heavy weights and still be completely calm and collected and meditative and I think one thing that you taught me you know as a yoga teacher I know breath right I know how to breathe I know how to teach people how to breathe um, but I tell you what I could not pick that weight up off of the floor because I could not figure out how to hold my breath and contain my breath and it wasn't until I had your cueing about specifically some different methodologies of using my breath and using my brain 
to prepare myself and get really focused on what I was doing that I was able to kind of like make those breakthroughs um, specifically with deadlifting in the powerlifting class. So I think what you're saying is really profound that meditation is as much or, or recovery or any of those modalities that bring us back into homeostasis are as much about performance as, you know, enhancing drugs and weight gain and muscle mass and going hard, right? Those are all part of the picture. And that's, I think, what encapsulates you as a great coach because you understand those things in their they're physically a part of your experience and you're able to offer that as a direct direct link to the people that you work with coming to the bay area especially i've i've had the fortunate opportunity of being kind of immersed in a a, a group of people that have different upbringings and have different thought processes to that which i grew up with so I've always been a very curious guy and meeting someone that practices a different thought process or a different set of ideals. I, I, for whatever reason, I don't have any resistance and I'm just very curious to know what that's about. So I've been taking a lot of time to just learn more about some Eastern philosophies, learning about Taoism, learning about Buddhism, learning about Hinduism and just seeing like, Hey, what, what are people doing or what, what are what are the ideals here? What's what's the thought process here? And a lot of the common denominators I've seen across those is a little bit more introspective and, and a little bit more gentle than the way that I've thought about things in life. And just going back to this idea of, you know, adding a little bit of grace to my savagery, I've found, hey, this style of thinking or this way of life is uh, something that could probably be pretty beneficial to me based on the other activities I'm doing with a lot of my time, a lot of them being quite the opposite of gentle. Um, specifically, learning about this kind of non-dualist view of things, of um, yin and yang, or good and bad, or black and white. And, you know, extrinsically, those seem like very different things. And I tend to associate or attach myself to one of those things and try to avoid the other. I just realized that uh, intrinsically, those are really one and the same, or they're on two sides of the same coin. So for it's silly for me to say, I only want to lift heavy and I only want to do th things in this way. I'm attaching myself to this style of moving. I can't do that other stuff. It's not going to be good for me. I definitely have had that thought process before of like, man, if I do yoga, I'm going to get worse at bench pressing. Mm. <laughs> and looking back at it now, I just kind of laugh because it's, it's a pretty silly mindset when, when you actually do these things and realize that being more gentle with yourself is actually going to enable you or unlock you to be stronger in those different realms. So specifically about meditation and uh, some of these more mindful strategies is I think like anyone, when they start meditating, I had it, I was kind of doing it for ulterior motives. Like, Hey, I'm going to force myself to sit down for 20 minutes because I know this is going to make me sleep better. Or I know this is going to improve my recovery. Or I know this is going to make me happier because that's what I read in research. And as soon as you sit down and meditate for another reason or do it for a particular agenda, you've already kind of missed the point and I, I did it for so long and I think I just had a moment where I don't know I just meditated because it was nice and I liked the mm. silence maybe I may have stressed but I didn't do it to relieve stress I just did it because I enjoyed the moment of being in silence and just you know being here and that kind of clicked as something that uh, doesn't meditation doesn't need to be me just sitting down and forcing myself to sit in a lotus position and focus on slow breathing 
but meditation can be, or this idea of presence can exist in anything that I'm doing, whether it's doing my dishes or my laundry or lifting weights or doing acrobatic yoga, any of those things could be meditation. So those kind of insights have just, I guess, kind of led me towards just a little bit more of an open-minded approach towards not just specifically within movement or, or wellness, but really in life and just continuing to embrace my sense of curiosity and learn uh, from anything that any different ways of life that people have that are different than mine. Yeah. And like, what an amazing um, place that you're in to be able to have that perspective. I mean, at Google specifically, there are people from every walk of life, every language, every culture, every shape, size, and color. And so what a better opportunity for you to say, I'm going to be open not only to these different movement practices, but to concepts and philosophies and languages um, outside of what I'm comfortable with or how I identify myself. I think that's like one of the biggest life lessons ever that we all need to just take a little advice from for sure. Well, a question that I have specifically is if you were to walk away from the coaching field in relation to strength and conditioning or powerlifting, um, how else would you spend your time? And what, what would you pursue given your experience now with all these different things that we've discussed? Like, is there something else that is provoking or curious to you enough that would draw your full attention? It's, it's funny you ask that because I've been asking myself the same question. Um, doing that, I've always had these kind of four-year phases of school and of college, and it, it, I get this kind of gut feeling that something, a, a new, another chapter is on the horizon for me. And like most people that are just entering the field out of college, I think I've had carried this weight of this attachment to being in the field, like. No matter what I do, I'm doing something exercise science related. This is what I studied in school. This is what I love. This is what I know. This is who I am. I think I attached my identity to that. But I think recently, again, with just kind of being a little bit more open-minded in general, I've tried to, not even really tried, I've, I've just kind of dropped the attachment to doing this forever. Like I, I'm, I'm, I can't really be bothered with different career paths. But if I was going to nail one down, I think that, it would be something to do with the outdoors, whether that be something to do with parks or retreats or hopefully something traveling. I definitely have been really enjoying traveling. Um, and also something encompassing the idea of adventure. I think that there's a, if you, you see how many folks are interested in escape rooms or, or these different adventure type models, I think there's a market for it. And I think people like to have chaos in a controlled amount but I think people enjoy letting themselves uh, kind of dive into the chaos as I've alluded to in the past so I've been definitely brainstorming ways I can en encompass adventure and getting people outside of their comfort zone in different ways um, outside of just me teaching you how to deadlift because that in itself is kind of an adventure and out of someone's comfort zone but it's very limited so I've been trying to find ways to uh, expand my ability to do that outside of just the weight room very cool. Well, I'll have to keep following you and see when your your future adventure, savage yoga um, excursion becomes available or becomes an entity. That'll be really exciting, I think, for most people. 
Um, Lucas, thank you so much for your time. Where can people contact you or find you or follow you? Do you have anything um, coming up or do you want to promote anything specifically? I know that you work exclusively at Google, which is like a private corporate gig, but how do people connect with you? Like, um, I'm, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is L Dunham. My last name Dunham, D-U-N-H-A-M, 33, L Dunham 33. Um, I'm not on Facebook very often. You, you probably find me on there, but I'm, I can't say I go on it very often. Personal email, also my first and last name with 33, lucasdunham33 at gmail.com. Awesome. People have questions. They want to follow up. Um, they can contact you there and kind of bother you about some of these concepts. But yeah, it's been awesome just catching up again. And thank you so much for not only just being super real, but being the coach that you are and the friend that you are. I think it's been one of my greatest joys in the last couple of years getting to know you and, and get to work with you. And I'm excited too, to look into the future and be a little bit more open as to how we can collaborate and, and recreate some of these experiences in different formats and different locations um, all across the world, hopefully. But I'm equally as grateful for, for my opportunity to work with you. If you guys ever get a chance to take a workshop with Britta or, or work with Britta personally, highly recommend it. Uh, honestly, it was a, a very pivotal moment in my coaching career, learning from some of her insights and applying some of the way she thinks about movement and about wellness has really almost redefined my own view of it. Mm -hmm. Thanks again, Britta, for, for that and for having me on the call. Thank you so much.